Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Chinese election interference story. There's so many angles of it, and it really has been not the story of the week, which we like to do. It's been the story of over a month, and it doesn't look like it's going to be abating. You know, as I just said, do we know just how far this has gone? That's the the feeling we're getting. And my next guest wonders if Canadians has come, have we come to grips with just how far and deep this election interference is. We've been living our lives maybe with a little bit of shades on. John McKay, Liberal MP for Toronto Scarborough Guildwood. Good afternoon, John. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Arlene. John, I mean, look, we've seen certainly the Conservative Party and the opposition uh, really take hold of this story. But you're a Liberal MP, and uh, it's not just a partisan thing as we look at this Chinese election interference. So what do you say, John? Do you believe that the sense that this is just the beginning may be true, that we're going to just see how layered and deep this is? Well, I don't know how many layers there are on the onion skin, um, <laughs> but I uh, I think uh, we ain't seen nothing yet. Um, there's a, a substantial in, uh, uh, investment that the PRC has in Canadian misinformation, disinformation, interference, intimidation, um, and um, and they have quite an operation going here in Canada um, and election interference and interference with area interference with candidates is only one aspect of that uh, entire campaign. So um, how far and how deep, I don't really know. Um, and maybe none of us really know. It's true. You know, we heard it first from the Chinese diaspora, the community saying this is what's happening to us. And then we heard about the Chinese jails and a lot of Canadians were shocked. I know I was. And then we saw it happen in the United States as well. And now we're seeing even there's been political interference and municipally, provincially, and also federally. But how far do you think it may go, as you say, when you ain't seen nothing yet? Is Will it be in society? Is there other areas you think that we should get ourselves ready for here? Well, uh, Arlene, I've done nine campaigns. Um, and for some bizarre reason, the people of Scarborough Guildwood keep reelecting me. <laughs> and I, I can't quite figure that out. I'm very thankful. Um, and the campaigns that we run are really quite casual, and I don't, I don't think about um, who's uh, who's supporting me, who's not supporting me. I don't think about how we run our campaign. I don't think about influence operations in my own campaign. Now I'm going to have to start thinking about that, and uh, so that's just a small illustration of how things will have to change. Um, other members are, you know, far more subject to influence than I am, particularly the uh, the uh, Chinese diaspora community members, and um, and it's pernicious. Um, even talking to you, um, do I uh, do I have mm-hmm. to think about um, who's listening and um, and what they might do about it? Um, so it 
it seeps into our society in in deep and pernicious ways that um, uh, will necessarily change how Canada does its business uh, and conducts itself. And I I, I regret that deeply. I think. But it's it's uh, something we have to grapple with. Eddie, as you were you were part of a delegation recently that went to Taiwan, and they're very aware of this. So you're thinking about that now, John? Just how uh, what they know and what they look for that maybe we don't. Well, they've been dealing with uh, direct uh, Chinese interference for well, pretty well. 30, 40, 50 years, but, you know, it's really ramped up uh, lately under Xi Jinping and, and uh, various others. And, and so they have a, they have a million um, cyber attacks a day. And it's just, it's just become ingrained in their society that they have to be constantly vigilant they cannot leave misinformation or disinformation to settle into the body politic. They have a standard that um, they expect a response on misinformation, disinformation to happen within two hours. They generally have it down to an hour. Uh, they have a minister in charge of dig- digital affairs for not only for the government, but for all of the island's regulated institutions. And uh, she is um, expected to um, be constantly on top of the defenses of not only government institutions, but businesses and, and individuals as well. It's just a, an entirely different way of thinking about um the constant level of um, of surveillance, the constant level of uh, response to to um, attack. It is, and and when you look at it that way, you just see where we could be going, John. And and especially if we have an inquiry, as you say, you don't know how many layers there are to the onion. But if we were betting people right now, I'm sure we would both agree. There are a few more layers we haven't even seen yet. It could be a shock to Canadians. Well, both you and I, uh, who pay attention to this stuff, um, have some suspicions. Um, and that and those suspicions, I think, are, are well-founded. But um, none of us really have uh, appreciation of, for the, the depth uh, that will be involved. And while I, I, I'm quite keen to hear what um, David Johnson might recommend. I don't know that um, even his mandate will will um, uh, extend to the extent that uh, maybe it should. And and this is where it really becomes difficult because you don't want to turn your entire country into some sort of paranoid state. Um, you do like uh, you know you, you do want to cling to the openness and. Uh, uh, way in which we do business, the respect to the rule of law and, and uh, relative absence of corruption. But um, at the same time, we do need to come to grips with um, 
those who wish to do us harm. And there are, and it's not, as we we talk about China, we've got Russia, we've got Iran. John, I want to ask you, as you know, we just went through the two Michaels. And one of the, the takeaways, certainly for me, was just how much that worked. (laughs) the fear of kidnapping when you have two Canadians and such a pressure on the government that they had to come back well and they had to come back alive and and what kind of concessions do you make? It's the oldest thing when there's a kidnapping. Now there's a fear that there's going to be more retaliation. It's not unfounded, as you know. I mean, China said we won't take this lying down. Is is that a reality here we have to face, perhaps? Well, it's it is a working reality, and it does play deeply in the in the minds of those who are the negotiators. Um, you know, it's one thing for some African uh, podunk country to go and kidnap your people. Uh, they, it's, a, it's a relatively straightforward proposition when a, when uh, probably the world's most, uh, second strongest country. Uh, kidnaps your people. That's an entirely different proposition. And it just simply has to play through. And we have we have a huge vulnerability there. Uh, there's a, a lot of um, not only diaspora members, but um, regular Canadian citizens that uh, live and work and travel to, to and from China. And at any given moment, uh, any one of them are, are vulnerable and um, can, be, can be used for uh, leverage. Um, so, um, I don't know whether David Johnson's um, report will delve into that kind of thing or not, but um, but these are the kinds of things that we that it is simply the a new reality, and um, and it's not a it's not a happy reality. It's not something one one would embrace with any enthusiasm. No. What do you do? We we already went through it and we had to, you know, I remember that court case in Canada grabbing all the allies and getting people to just at least be standing in that court case. And it wasn't just mm-hmm. a picture, was it? It was about, okay, we are the world locking arms. The word allies comes up in a lot of this. Is that where we need to look? You know, we mentioned America. We need Americas and we need their help on this. Well, there is there is a, a great sorting that's going out, um, going in, uh, out, and you know, the, not the not only the kidnapping of the Michaels, which I thought the, the government responded to quite well, as far as um, lining up uh, allies to talk about uh, to let China recognize that there will be consequences um, to um, uh, to this kind of um, uncivilized behavior, but. In addition, Ukraine has sorted people out. You got to, you, you can't just sort of sit on the fence any longer. You're either in the the camp of those who respect the rule of law and, and engaged in civilized behavior, or you're on the other side. And um, that's made for some uncomfortable moments for some some countries. But that sorting is going to continue. Um, it will express itself in all kinds of ways, but the most obvious of which is trading blocks. And uh, the, you know the trading blocks will, by mm-hmm. by definition, start to shut out uh, those who don't operate by the rule of law, engaged in in behavior that is expected of civilized nations. Um, so, uh, I think uh, as we reshore, uh, nearshore, friendshore, whatever shoring you want to talk about, uh, <laughs> those are the kinds of uh, those are the kinds of realities. Uh, that will um, uh, start to come about. It's it's one thing to talk about human rights, and we all respect and acknowledge human rights. But uh, human rights are really a, a presage to 
um, uh, respect for contracts. And if there is no respect for contracts, um, uh, that you know that they're simply <laughs> items of guidance or something of that nature, um, then uh, then it is an entirely different ball game, and and we will we will start trading among ourselves and uh, reduce our vulnerabilities. Uh, COVID being a classic example of uh, of Taiwan acting as a responsible nation and making available its uh, resources uh, to fight COVID and China acting as an irresponsible nation and uh, not permitting access to uh, to the world scientists to determine whether there was an origin there. So I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you on the West Block today, um, uh, Global News, um, there was a panel discussion and a former CSIS intelligence officer said that Canada needs a national security culture in Ottawa. We need more of it. A lack of it is the reason why we miss this intelligence. As we talk about this, John, if we, you know, we're talking about average, you know, Canadians looking out and our government looking out a little bit more intensely. We don't know how deep it goes, but have we had a lack of that culture? Have we been not looking for this stuff? Yes. Short answer. Um, <laughs> Uh, we uh, we live in a privileged position, which um, is being challenged. Uh, we live in a privileged environment where we don't uh, don't spend a lot of time worrying about what other countries may wish to do to us. But it is 2023, and the world has changed. And uh, not only has uh, uh, and, and as a consequence, we need to really up our game in both security and defense. Uh, we have lived for years under the security umbrella of the Americans, um, yeah. and we routinely abuse them um, yeah, for, uh, for providing that security umbrella. <laughs> um, and um, and they're beginning to have, in fact, to have had for the last few years some uh, expectations that we will up our game. Um, I think it was President Obama uh, very kindly and gently uh, suggested to the House of Commons that uh, we should be participating more in burden sharing. Um, <laughs> so um, uh, we have been, we've had the luxury of being able to um, spend our resources on things other than security and defense, um, which has, you know, made us a relatively prosperous, peaceful society. But uh, I don't know that that is going to be continued, uh, can continue, and to up our game on security and defense, it costs a lot of money and a lot of resources. Yeah, it's so true. I remember being part of a contest if I were prime minister and for years being a judge on that and having the opportunity to talk to so many university students who entered the contest. And I was surprised by the lack of awareness of, of all that, that America does this and not really. And always asking them, it seemed year after year, are you aware how much we rely on America for our national security? And so I want to ask you, John, a wake-up call. Has it happened already? I mean, look at what we've been talking about. We're getting into some pretty heavy warnings and heavy reality here today. 
No, it hasn't. Um, I, I, I think that uh, maybe your panel on the West Block starts to raise the flag, but um, it needs to seep through the, the, the larger political culture. But it also needs to seep through into Canadian society. Our, um, I respond uh, as a politician to the needs, wants, desires of my constituents. And the needs, wants, and desires of my constituents almost never involve national defense or security. Mm-hmm. In fact, I can't think of ever getting a vote based on national security and defense. Um, uh, so uh, that's writ large in, in the Canadian Parliament. And it, you, it manifests itself in things like our failure to get to um, 2% or be on the right way to getting 2% mm-hmm. of... Yeah, uh, and it's, it's really it's such a hard thing to turn around, but there's a sense, like, at least we're in the beginning of it. If you want to hear more, subscribe to The Roy Green Show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you find your favorites. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and tell a friend. I'm Roy Green. Have a great weekend.